God has a word for us tonight from Hebrews chapter 12. It's printed for you in your service folder. I'd like to read it to you tonight. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. This is the word of the Lord. You have probably never heard of Derek Redmond. Derek Redmond was a participant in the 1992 Summer Olympic Games in Barcelona. And his event was the 400-meter sprint. I was never a track man, but I'm not unfamiliar to running. And in my mind, the 400-meter event is one of the most difficult simply because it's a sprint that you have to keep sprinting through for such a long time, 400 meters, twice around the track. Anyway, Derek, as you uh, could imagine, as an Olympic athlete, was well-trained. He was at the top of his uh, profession, his avocation. He certainly had trained for this day, the day of the race, for four years, eight years, more than that, really his whole life, since he was a little boy. He dreamed of this day of running the race, getting on the medal stand, being awarded a medal for his uh, native Great Britain. And the gun went off. And the race started. 
and he started out with practice precision and he was making his way around the track. And though not a favorite to win the gold, he even allowed for just a minute, just a second maybe, he allowed that thought of winning the race because he was in the lead. And then as quickly as it had started, it was all over. All the runners ran past him not because he was slower than they, but because he was lying on the ground in a crumpled mess, grabbing his right leg because his hamstring had blown up and his dreams had blown up with it. And as you might imagine, as all the other runners crossed the finish line, that's when a hush came over the stadium because everybody was wondering, what would this poor man do? Well, he was determined to get up and finish the race. And track officials came to his side and they were going to help him and he waved them off because he was going to do it alone until he couldn't. His body just wouldn't let him. And that's when a heavy-set, gray-haired man made his way from the stands. And he jogged over to Derek. And he put his arm around him. And Derek allowed it because that was his dad, Jim Redmond. And Jim said, I'm with you every step of the way. Let's do this together. And so then they walked across the finish line to thunderous applause. And Derek would say later, my body failed me, but my father did not. I invite you tonight to consider your life in Jesus Christ exactly the way the writer to the Hebrews talked about it. He said it's a race. And it's not 400 meters sprint, is it? It's much more like a marathon than a sprint. And we need help. The finish line is heaven. But with the unholy trinity of the devil, the sinful world, our own sinful flesh, all working against us every single day, the probability of blowing a hamstring is pretty good. So God comes to us tonight and he says, I'm your father. And I am with you every step of the way. I'm here to give you strength for the journey. If we depend on our own strength, we will be sorely disappointed. So God says to us tonight, you're going to run the race marked out for you, and here's why. Christ is your strength, and I will give you training. Every Christian life is a race, and there are different challenges depending on who you are. 
Now for the first century Christians to whom the letter to the Hebrews was written, so Hebrew Christians, Jewish Christians of the first century, their challenge was cataloged in the letter. So the writer to the Hebrews gives us insight into what their life was like. Sticking up for Jesus, confessing Christ as their Savior in that context. He says, you've had your property confiscated because you believe in Jesus. You've been put in prison because you believe in Jesus. And you may have noticed in, the, in, in tonight's text, in this section of God's word, Hebrews chapter 12, he says, you haven't shed your blood yet for believing in Jesus, but you will. So the challenges, the pressures of confessing Christ in the first century, especially for Jewish Christians, were immense and they were intense. And it would have been easy for them to just lie on the track in a crumpled mess and say, I can't go any farther. I give up. I throw in the towel. So the writer to the Hebrews, in 13 long chapters of his letter, really one of his big purposes is, I want to encourage you guys in your race. I want to encourage you as you you carry out your Christian journey. And I think it's really interesting that he does not, the writer to the Hebrews, he does not really say or encourage the way that I often hear it today, which is to kind of stand on the sideline and and yell, believe, believe, you got to believe a little harder. He doesn't really want to talk about their believing quite as much as he wants to talk about the one they believe in. Christ is their strength. The object of their faith. The person to which their faith clings. And Listen again to how he presents Jesus as their strength to get across the finish line. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now you consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and you will not lose heart. I remember how last April we in this church and in Christian churches really throughout the world, we spoke of Christ's crucifixion on Good Friday in reverent tones, worshipful tones. Well, for those who opposed the Hebrew Christians in the first century, uh, they were not speaking of Christ's crucifixion in reverent tones. They were yucking it up. Making fun of Christians for believing in anyone 
who would allow himself to die that way. Surely this man cannot be your Lord. Look at him, he dies like a criminal. He dies this horrid death. And yet, what does the writer to the Hebrews do to encourage them? He doesn't say, avert your eyes. You don't look at him. He says, fix your eyes on Christ crucified. Look at Christ crucified. In fact, his endurance all the way to the cross is going to be your endurance against every challenge to your faith. Furthermore, he says there was a joy. There was a joy in Jesus' perfect heart as he was crucified, which sounds crazy to us. How could he have any joy in such a horrible circumstance? Why? Because he knew what it was accomplishing. And what it accomplished is the rescue of your souls and my soul. So he endured. And you focus on him. And of course, the writer to the Hebrews is right. When you focus on Christ, everything that this world, that life can throw at you, is seen in its proper perspective. Imagine you have this... uh, Beautiful house in the mountains. Let's just say it's in the Rocky Mountains. And you, you know, we, you know it's your vacation house. Maybe we, maybe we can't relate to that. But let's just, say, let's just say that you can. You've got this vacation house up in the Rocky Mountains. And uh, one thing that you made sure that was a part of that house was this large picture window, a large window, because the scene outside that window was a crystal clear mountain lake with snow-capped peaks behind it. And you, when you can't be outside, you're, you're looking through that window, right? I mean, it's a beautiful view. But then, a scrub vine starts growing up your house. You didn't plant it, but it's growing. And pretty soon, it's starting up the window. And now, it's covering the window. And now, it's covering your view. Now, compared to the enormity of the lake, and the mountains, that vine is just, it's, it's nothing. It's, it's, a, it's a little toothpick. But yet, it can cause you to not see big and beautiful things if you let it. So I know what you would do to that vine in your vacation house. You would rip it out. You would tear it down. 
so you can see big and beautiful things. Jesus going all the way to the cross, showing us the extent of God's love for us. Not giving up on us, not giving up on the race, finishing the race, winning the victory for us. That's our view. Every day, that's our strength to run, out, run the race that is marked out for us, but not if we let our view get blocked. What is it that is uh, creeping up your picture window? Is it the problems and worries of this life that are obstructing your view so that you have stopped focusing on Jesus? Is it the glint or gleam of money or possessions that we kind of chase after them? They distract our attention away from following Jesus? Is it the shine of success, you know, that just throws up such a glare into our eyes that we can't see Jesus anymore? By God's grace, let's tear those vines down. They will only keep us from seeing Jesus, focusing on Jesus, if we let them. Focus on the one who is your strength for the journey through every season of life. And of course, that's exactly what God wants us to do. But God also knows that that is exactly what we sometimes don't want to do. Focus on Christ. We want to focus on other things in our life. So he trains. He's like this divine coach. The perfect coach, the writer to the Hebrews says, who truly desires for each of us to cross the finish line and enter heaven. So he trains us. And do you remember what the writer to the Hebrews said about God's training us? He said, endure hardship as discipline. The Lord disciplines those he loves. In fact, he goes on to say that we should willingly submit to the Lord's discipline in our lives because that's the way that God shows that he loves us. And there's going to be a harvest of righteousness and peace through it. So he trains us to keep us focused on Jesus, to keep our faith strong during the marathon the Lord uses his own loving discipline. Now, discipline is a funny thing. Uh, intellectually, I think we understand it. Um, especially when it involves other people. Um, 
other people whose job it is to protect us or to save our lives. So I'm thinking when the, you know, when the ambulance comes for us, we want everybody involved, the EMTs, the driver, we want the, the, the uh, ER nurses, the ER doctors, we want everybody involved to have had disciplined training. And in fact, we want it to be rigorous training because we don't want the enormity of the moment to overcome them because they're there to save our lives. It's the same with uh, soldiers. It's the same with firefighters. It's the same with law enforcement. We don't want them to be soft. We want them to be tough with their training. Why? Because our protection hangs in the balance. I also think that we um, have an intellectual understanding of the importance of discipline in our own lives as maybe the thing that is most benefiting to us. For instance, if you just, if you set your heart on running a half marathon, for instance. You don't just, um, you know, drop the bag of Doritos and get off the couch and start running the day of the race. You know that it's going to take some training. And you know that that training is a good thing. But what about when God is the trainer? What about when God is disciplining us? The writer to the Hebrews asks. Do we get that? Do we understand that? Do we accept that? I think it's harder. And the reason being that um, because usually our question is, why in the world is God allowing this to happen to me? If God loved me, why would he allow this quote-unquote bad thing to happen to me? Now the Bible says that heaven's victory is the ultimate victory. And heaven's victory is for those who put their trust in Christ alone. A lifetime is a long time to trust in Christ alone. And God knows this, so he gives us training. Consider God's discipline training program for you to remain in the faith. And remember, just as disciplining a muscle or a set of muscles in your body is going to cause some discomfort by using it over and over again, so also exercising your faith in a world that often pushes against that, 
Think of what Jesus said in that gospel lesson today. That's going to hurt. To strengthen our dependence upon him. Will God actually allow illness to touch our bodies? He might. And that hurts. To strengthen our patience to wait on him. Could God not answer our prayer exactly the way we want it to be answered for years and years? He might. And waiting hurts. To show us how we are truly rich, could God allow us to lose some of our earthly riches through a financial setback? He could. And any financial setback hurts. To help us see more clearly, to call upon the Lord more dearly, could the Lord send some tears into our lives? He might. And those are heartbreaking. But through the pain and through the heartbreak and through the tears, God is lovingly training us for the final victory, for when that day, the day when the race is over and when heaven is our home and we share in the strength of the Lord forever, on this we have the promise of the one who has already finished the race for us and won the victory for us and who for the joy of saving you went to the cross. And he says, run the race marked out for you. When will our race end? None of us knows. When a young Christian dies, we think that race was too short. When an older Christian is at the end of her life and yet the Lord still allows her to live, but by our way of thinking, there isn't a whole lot, there isn't a, a, a whole lot of quality of life and we, we wonder why is the Lord allowing this journey to go on so long? We don't know the length of our race. What we do know is this. Our race will go right through death into eternal life. And so now is the time for us to focus on Jesus who gave us that eternal life. And now is the time to accept the training of the one who loved us so much that he sent Jesus into our lives. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, take my hand and lead me upon life's way. Direct, protect, and feed me from day to day. Without your grace and favor, 
I go astray. So take my hand, O Savior, and lead the way. Amen.